You're listening to Heart Food Podcast, episode 23 with Tarina Lopez. Welcome to Heart Food Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Pardo, nutritional therapy practitioner and private chef. This is a show that tells you the truth about food, nutrition, movement, mental health, mindfulness, and body image, all with a hefty dose of real talk. This show will inspire you, change your mindset, and help you feel more confident and comfortable in your own skin inside and out. To find the show notes for each episode and to sign up for my weekly newsletter, visit ashleypardo.com. Find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Ashley K. Pardo. Find me on YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube channel at Ashley Pardo. If you have a question to be answered on this podcast, please email it to heartfoodpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Hey there, and welcome back to Heart Food Podcast, and thank you so much for tuning in today. Today I have an awesome and really long-awaited episode for me to have done with my really good friend, Tarina Lopez, who is a licensed mental health counselor, and she focuses on eating disorders and helping women gain self-awareness. Before we get into that episode, I want to remind you guys that there is going to be some stuff coming in the next few weeks. I will be releasing some freebies that you guys can get for free on my website, so I just want you to be aware of that, aware of what's coming. I'm going to be launching a couple things at the end of April beginning of May around that time, which is about a month and a half. And in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be in Los Angeles at an event with my mastermind women and my business coach, Jill Coleman. Um, it is going to be an amazing event with 12 of us speaking, and I'm just so excited and grateful to be part of that group. Um, so we have a really important episode. This episode is so important because although I really talk about wellness and eating well and moving your body, eating disorders are something that are extremely prevalent in our society. And like I said in the episode, I do not know a woman that has not engaged in at least some sort of eating disordered behavior. And like Tarina says in the podcast, there's a spectrum that we go from a disordered eating behavior to a full-blown eating disorder. And what was interesting to me is that she said kind of what distinguishes that is the frequency in which these things are happening. So like many of you know, I suffered from eating disorders when I was younger my teenage years and in my early 20s, I suffered from bulimia. And in my late 20s, I definitely had a bout of orthorexia, which, you know, I've gotten out of probably for the past five years or so. Um, but if you are somebody who is suffering from an eating disorder, that world is very dark and it can feel really isolating and you can feel like you can't tell anybody because you feel, again, really alone and 
like shameful for what you're going through, but so many people go through this and there is always room for you in a support group or to see somebody you are worthy enough to get help. And I really encourage you to talk to somebody, to see somebody, to reach out and get the professional help that you need. Tarina talks about several resources that we can go to to get help. She is also available. She has a beautiful office in Coral Gables in Miami where she has her own private practice and she is available to talk to you if you want to go uh, see her as a client. We will talk about um, where you can find her towards the end of the episode and in the show notes. But uh, Tarina and I met actually through one of our mutual friends and we went to the same college. So we kind of were in the same friend groups and now we're both here in Miami and we get together every so often uh, for coffee just because she works a lot with obviously, you know, eating disorders, eating disorder awareness, but I just really admire her uh, tenacity and ambition in helping others and really just being somebody who's an example of self-awareness and self-care and somebody that really prioritizes um, mental health and, you know, all of these things that we need to take care of ourselves. So I really encourage you again to at least develop a self-awareness practice, uh, some self-care rituals and the reason, again, I want to talk about this stuff and release this episode is to bring more awareness around this subject. And that's it. Hope you guys enjoy the episode. So I'm here with my friend, Tarina Lopez. Thank you so much for being with me today. We are here in Tarina's beautiful office in Coral Gables. And I wanted to have you on because you're an eating disorder therapist. Mm-hmm. You've been doing this for a while now. And I want you to tell us how you got started, Mm -hmm. what led you to be passionate about this, and maybe you can share your story as well. Sure. So um, I guess I'll tell you a little bit. I've been working in the field for about nine years now. Um, Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I I absolutely love this, this line of work. And I think one of the things that really drove me to work with the population was just, I always had an interest in, um, in the field of health. And initially, I was actually thinking about becoming a dietitian, um, just because I, I really felt as though um, the most knowledge that we knew about food was through the diet industry, yes. um, and, and about health was more so through the diet industry, and I felt like there was, there was something missing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think through you know, my own failed efforts of becoming a dietitian and um, just really finding that, that all that we got to was... Um, grams and food description within the, the coursework, I felt like I was, I, w- I really was seeking to help more of, um, help through a, a counseling aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up going into um, my master's in mental health counseling and, and have never, have, have really like never regretted making that decision and that shift. Um, so I guess one of my interests is developed, I guess, from um, just noting that, that um, people were really, I think one of the things that I, I sort of saw is, um, diets were always shifting and people were shifting with, with, within the relation to the diets that were of, of trend, mm-hmm. um, and feeling like 
there was more to the understanding of people that I think could heal their relationship with food. Um, and I felt as though very little people were talking about eating disorders and they were running rampant everywhere. Oh, yeah. I feel like, sorry to interrupt you, but like, yeah. I feel like every woman mm-hmm. to some extent has put, has dipped her toe in that world mm-hmm. and they might not take it as seriously. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this is just a thing that I did. I'm like, no, this is actually like a really important behavior that we need to pay attention to, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I guess, I guess kind of going off of that and, um, for the sake of sort of self-disclosure, I, I struggled with an eating disorder when I was... Um, 12 years old I was really really young um, Mm -hmm. and I struggled for a few years and I felt as though even when I was seeking my own treatment there were very limited options Um, and and I felt like this is something that we have to bring awareness to and and so my dream I think eventually at that point in time was I'm going to pursue my undergraduate I'm going to get my master's degree I'm going to open up a treatment facility because there's absolutely no treatment within Miami Mm -hmm. Um, and luckily I stumbled upon a treatment facility after or during the completion of my master's program and worked there for some time and felt like um, we could really pioneer programs to tailor around individuals' needs that were not, they were non-existent. Um, So I worked a lot in developing programs for women stepping out of residential treatment and into the world and just feel like I'm still learning. Um, And that's, I think, what keeps me interested and devoted to what I do is... Mm -hmm. Every individual is so unique. Their their needs are so unique. Um, so with my patient population, I'm really trying to assess what sort of services do they need, what, um, what, what's going to be helpful, and, and further than just building the services, how do we get on to an understanding of their relationship with food? Oh, my God, yeah. Um, how is food soothing to them? How is food fear-producing and why? Mm. And I think that all of these different pieces um, together form healing um so I do a lot of intensive work with my clients um I see a lot of my clients you know multiple times a week sometimes on a weekly basis but sometimes multiple times a week especially at the beginning just Mm -hmm. because I need to they've they've been struck by the time they kind of come into my office they've been struggling for such a long time yeah um that it takes a little bit to kind of get the full picture of absolutely of what's happening and I think too in order to I think because I also struggled with an eating disorder in my teenage years mm-hmm. I definitely had bulimia but that was something that I couldn't even admit to myself mm-hmm. until like my 20s at all I was like I couldn't even say it to my parents like it was just a secret that yeah. I had and I think that you to come to see somebody is a huge step right like because we're perfectionists we're people that you know, might put on a mask and say we're okay, mm-hmm. but um, it really takes a lot to even to come see you. Right. So that's to a big be vulnerable, step. To yes. go beyond what you know, I think that there's unfortunately there's still such a stigma against or or about mental health, right? Hundred percent. If you're going to see a counselor or a psychotherapist, you know something is wrong with you, and I, I feel like we really need to advocate for. Um, you know, an increase in self-awareness. We need mm-hmm. to advocate for the mental health services that we need and I think deserve. Um, and I think we almost, I think being a part of this field also, in some ways, we have to be advocates both for for our clients, but, but for that shift in, in mentality of um, getting to know oneself, being vulnerable, being open, allowing for someone to, to take part in our journey with us. Um, yes. So, yeah. Yeah, which is hard and great. And actually, the treatment center you were talking about is like one of the most popular, if not the most popular in Miami, right? 
It's it's one of I, so right now, um, I, I worked with Oliver Pyatt for for a, a good number of years, and um, and it is still one of the facilities that, that I think it's the only facility really in Miami um, that's providing residential and outpatient. Um, that's amazing services. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I actually knew somebody in my nutrition program mm-hmm. who was one of the group leaders that w- is not is from Texas mm-hmm. and came to Oliver Pyatt. Oh, really? Yeah. So I know that it's even recognized, mm-hmm. like, on a national level, and I think everything that you're saying is so important, and one of the most important things that I learned in my journey is that when people struggle with food on any part of that spectrum, whether it's eating disorders, mm-hmm. or if it's just, like, you're a little obsessed with food, you want to lose weight, and you're binging and dieting, and you stay in that cycle for a really long time, that it's really not about food at all. Right. So... That's something that kind of blew my mind when somebody first told me that. I'm like, what are you talking about? This is the problem of my life. And that kind of, I think, makes it easier Mm -hmm. because then we can put a name on it and we can have something that is tangible that we can kind of, um, you know, create as the source of our problems. And it's much more difficult to say that this actually has nothing to do with that. So where does that really leave us? So can you kind of talk about that and tell us what they're really about? Yeah, so I think about eating disorders as as a spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. I think about, um, you know, one side of the spectrum being disordered eating habits mm-hmm. and, and maybe the other side, I think, more of, of you know, an established um, eating disorder. And, and in between, I think that there is so much mm-hmm. to work with. But, but I think... You know, one of the things that I, I think about when I think about eating disorders, I think about feeding disorders. I think about issues with with feeding, with with one feeding themselves, and be it that it is um, avoidance of food or it is an overconsumption of food. I I think about how do we define what's going on? How do we understand the disruption between the individual and their ability to to feed themselves, and what influences? Um, you know, their avoidance of food or their consumption of food and how can we kind of build language around that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important that we, mm-hmm. that for the understanding of the individual. Um, and I think, you know, further along the line, as these issues develop um, with more severity, they become issues like anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder. And I think one of the things that we're also going to talk about is orthorexia as yes, well. Yes, absolutely. Um, so I think that, that as the severity kind of increases, so, you know, the rigidity, I think, around the food, so it could be, you know, a restrictive in- intake, um, which is more sort of classifiable by anorexia and, and rigid mentality um, surrounding food and exercise and body um, leading to ma- chronic malnourishment. So that's more so of anorexia. Then there's bulimia, which includes the compensation through through method of purging in any mm-hmm. ways, be it over-exercise or purging, um, or use of laxatives and mm-hmm. diuretics. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there is um, binge eating, which is the overconsumption of food within, you know, a, a period of, you know, within, within their daily intake, there's an overconsumption of food. And mm-hmm. usually, I think, you know, while we see those as being the behaviors, the understanding of what's happening that's triggering such behaviors is sort of my... Um, where I fall into the treatment, the treatment yeah. process. So usually these individuals are consulting with a dietitian, even a health coach, mm-hmm. um, a physician. We hope so, and that's something I guess that we'll talk about kind of later on. But mm-hmm. but by the time that they're coming to me as well, we're kind of understanding a what's the disruption within within their relationship with food. Um, how can we make sense of it? Um, 
both from a family history, from their their when did the relating also just become yeah. like disrupted? Mm-hmm. When did the the issues with the food arise? Um, but then we're determining, and I think one of the really important things is what level of care do they need? What level of support do they need? Can this be done at an outpatient level? Do they need something more intensive where they're actively engaging in their eating disorder symptoms and you know, they might need something that's a little bit more intensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're understanding that triggers, oftentimes um, eating disorders have a, a, they're influenced by anxiety, depression, OCD. So we're, we're beginning to also look at that piece of their care. Um, and that's what I do here within the clinical aspect. Okay. Yeah. So what is the biggest difference with some, from somebody who has like the habits mm-hmm. to a full on eating disorder? I'd say the frequency, the okay. intensity of the the frequency of their engagement and symptoms. Um, so be it restrict, are they restricting on a daily basis? Uh, you know, at every single meal, um, what is the quality of their restriction? Are they restricting, you know, f- full food types, their portion sizes, um, restricting full meals, right? So, mm-hmm. so what is interfering in their in their nourishment and and to what intensity? Mm. Um, so we want to make sure that that's something that's being assessed. What's their engagement in compensatory? Um, behaviors such mm-hmm. as you know it could be restriction it could be over exercise it could be purging yeah um so i think we want to know um to what degree is the relationship with food what's the intensity of which um this individual has an unhealthy relationship with food and how often you know how often is this kind of playing out how much does it lie within their their mind like mm. the the preoccupation with food i think yes. we want to really assess that yeah um and i think with regards to to, to eating disorders, we also want to assess like their, the drive for thinness, right? Oh um, yeah, that's a yeah. Can this individual have a, a relation, a, you know, a healthy relationship with food, or is it always motivated by their desire to, um, to be thin, right? Yes. For weight loss, I guess. Yeah, and especially in our society, we are motivated by this like really uh, elusive ideal we're told and believe as like an afterthought that we if we reach that that we will be happy that we will have this whole other life that everything's going to be perfect and that's something that I had to learn too that like I spent much of my life trying to restrict myself to be a certain way and then I got there and I was like wait I'm the same person now like it's so hard yes I think Miami is is it's a hard place to live I think I think today in today's day and age when there's social media yes. is, is such a big thing um it's really hard to kind of escape that to it is and and i, I th- that's where I, I say like as as a an eating disorder professional we also serve as advocates yes um because we are we're advocating against something that is so incredibly powerful um and and luckily i think that 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 there are there are social media outlets as well that allow for positive body image, a reconnection to the body, positive messages um, with regards to healing one's relationship with food and body. So I'm, I'm I think it's hard, but I, I am hoping that that um, that we could position more people to be advocates for healthy relationships with with food and healthy relationships with themselves. And yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely shifting. I think it's going to take a long time yeah. for like it to really change. But mm-hmm. like it's exciting to me that we're seeing like the beginning shifts. Yes. Something that was interesting that you said, too, was like the fact that I think that when we are born that we don't know anything about food yet. 
you know mm-hmm. so like and I look at babies and even animals they're right. intuitive eaters right they don't worry like when I first got my dog she was found in a dumpster she so she didn't know when she was going to get her next meal she was fostered by a family and the way she ate when we got her she would eat her food so fast mm. and then she would throw up because she would eat too quickly right and that was like that scarcity like who's going to get my food I don't know when I'm going to get it once she found out she was loved she'll leave the food there all day and just get it when she's hungry. So, like, I see babies, I see animals, we're intuitive eaters. Right. That's how we come into the world, I think. And somewhere along the line, we learn otherwise. Right. So that's something that's really interesting to me, too. So to what extent are eating disorders affected by, like, our upbringing versus, like, just the way we are? Right. Well, this is, I mean, I think it's it's a combination of both. And, and I think it's always, like, nature versus nurture. And, mm-hmm. and, and oftentimes... You know, as I mentioned before, there's a, a genetic predisposition, anxiety, depression, right? That's mm-hmm. that's kind of bio- biological, but it is very much socially re- reinforced. And we look at things, uh, you know, at, at experiences like bullying or, or you know, dieting within the home. And those are, you know, just as strong influencers as, as the biological oh, predisposition. Yeah. Um, so, so it's, I think it's a, it's a combination of both. There's a a book that sort of speaks to, you know, society loads the gun, I'm sorry, biology loads the gun, but society really pulls the trigger. Mm. And I think, you know, I think it's a combination of both. Yeah. That's so interesting too. And that's why I'm also really passionate about like, um, you know, if I want to have a child one day or just moms in general, Mm -hmm. really being careful about the way that they talk about themselves like forcing their kids to mm-hmm. eat all of those behaviors are not uh benign things even school officials and school yeah mm-hmm. or ballet like my mom was in ballet and that really created a lot of like um mental stuff around food too so like there's all these different ways that we could be that we're learning effect- that we're, we're learning influenced. yes you know what is i, I think you know be it in ballet studios body comparison and performance and the messages that these instructors are sending about you know performance and 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 how to enhance performance and I think again we're fighting there are such when I see a client there are such beliefs about um that have been influenced by you know coaches teachers parents right and and unfortunately at times, we might not know the harm that we cause by sending some of these messages. Yeah, these women have have believed themselves to be, you know, that the only way that they could be star athletes is by method of weight loss of, you know, being underweight. They could be, you know, the best rower on their team. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have had, you know, these experiences that continue to reinforce that they have to be a certain body weight or body body shape and size in order to succeed. Yeah. And, and to be able to work on that, I think, is, is, is really, it's very difficult. So hard, especially when, like, your life or your job might revolve around mm-hmm. something like that. So that's mm-hmm. something that can be really sticky. Yeah. If you have somebody close to you that you might be wondering about, mm-hmm. maybe seeing certain behaviors, what are some warning signs yeah. that we can look out for? And how can we approach somebody uh, for something that can be so sensitive if we think that they're going through something like that? I think that's a really good question. Um, even as I'm sort of thinking about it, I, I feel like, and I almost want to talk casually about it because I think um, it could be that individual that all that you're hearing is about, you know, their diet and like it's, 
I think oftentimes when the preoccupation with food and body becomes so vast that it's the thing that you're hearing about when you're out to dinner with them, mm. if you're out to dinner with them, mm. right? Um, I think it becomes preoccupying if they're not engaging socially over a meal because they're avoiding having that meal. Yeah. Um, if you see, I think, a, a dramatic change within their body within you know a time span that, that's almost insensible that you can't make sense of and, yeah. and that their life kind of rotates with regards to how they eat or how they move mm. um i would say some of those are, are warning signs right if this individual feels like they can only eat a certain way um if they have lost a lost a significant amount of weight within a you know a short period of time if they are just overly consumed in ways that sort of influence them on a social basis i think that those are all those are all red flags mm-hmm. um, obviously if you're seeing you know diet pills um use of laxatives things like that those are also uh important warning signs i would say as an eating disorder professional i think that the sooner the individual starts um gaining some sort of support the better um research shows that that um you know, if an individual engages within treatment within the time, the, the quicker that one engages within treatment, oftentimes it helps with full, with the attainment of full recovery. Mm. Um, so I would say, you know, absolutely encourage individuals to, to speak up about or, or to get some sort of service. I, I know that there's some ambivalence with regards to um, seeking mental health services, but I think that we also need to speak to, you know, how it could be helpful and why and maybe our own experiences within, mm. you know, treatment or, or therapy of some sort. Um, so I would absolutely encourage them to, to maybe get started with talking with somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, there are support groups within the community that sometimes are less threatening as well yeah. and are a good um, way to just lean into this co- this conversation and to be able to build recognition for, you know what? I have this preoccupation and maybe actually it's problematic and maybe I should go see somebody. So I think that sometimes I, you know, um, speaking to this individual on a, you know, on a one-to-one basis and advising them maybe by the, the least, in the least invasive kind of way in efforts to lean them into treatment, I think is, is, is a good idea. You know, referring them to see a dietitian, a health coach, referring them to see, you know, a therapist. I think anybody, any, any sort of professional can be of help Mm -hmm. and can assist in, in the, the creation of a treatment plan for this individual or a treatment team. Um, I say those things and I, I imagine that they're, they're almost, it's something threatening to hear, but, yeah. but sometimes, you know, any individual can walk through our door and I'm, I, I'm sort of thinking, you know what, this individual might, might really benefit from seeing a dietitian or, um, it seems like they're really fatigued. They might really benefit from seeing a, 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 a physician. Mm-hmm. So I feel like any opportunity that they get with any professional can really, um, allow for the leaning in to this topic. Um, I, I think one of the things to note is um, there are eating disorder, there are certified eating disorder professionals out in the community. Um, and and there, it's, a, it's a true specialization, I think, to be able to flag an eating disorder, um, to be able to recognize even how to help with what language, with what tools. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's a... a, a, a um, an organization I'm a part of, it's the International Association of Eating Disorder Professionals. They certify eating disorder specialists who have had experience in working with eating disorders, training in working with eating disorders, and and they um, they have a you know a, kind of a a, um, 
a community which mm-hmm. you can reach out to and find an eating just dis- a local eating disorder professional. So some of these individuals are MDs, RDs, um, therapists of you know from PhDs to LMHCs, and so that's a really great resource for some of these individuals if if. And in, if a family member or a practitioner themselves mm-hmm. is feeling like, oh my gosh, this person has an eating disorder, who do I go to? Who's the best yeah. person to kind of refer to? And it's great to hear too that there's like a whole spectrum. Like mm-hmm. you could start like in a support group, which mm-hmm. seems like very like non-threatening, um, kind of, you know, just it doesn't take a lot out of you to, to do that. I mean, it does take a lot taking that first step, mm-hmm. you know, all the way to having a team of a doctor, a therapist, and a registered dietitian to kind of getting them through. So it can be comforting to hear that there's an entire spectrum, even to say it out loud to your friend, like is a big step um, for a lot of people. And to even have like family or friend support is a place that I think that you can start as well. But I think saying that first thing and admitting that this is, and you know, it can be hard because it's difficult to let go of that problem Mm -hmm. um because like you it's kind of like a survival thing like this is what's keeping me alive right now this like obsession uh and because that's like the the focus of life so what is there besides that yeah well it's a survival it's a a, i think you said it beautifully like i have this behavior and at at times it's it's the tool that allows for life to be more manageable yeah it's also a tool that's really um it's also getting in the way of them living. Yeah, so I think, it's I think part of that pool or creating that space is like, how do we make space for this? How do we, we make space? Um, how do we, I think, release the grip on this, like, you know, tool for survival um, with some safety, right? And how mm-hmm. do we understand why this has also just been a tool for survival so that you can do something else that I think is more, yes. you know, is, is healthier. So. Yes, and it also opens up space for you to live your life in mm-hmm. another way, mm-hmm. which can be scary at the onset because it's like, what do I have besides this thing? So it really has to come from a place of, like, self-discovery, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, mm-hmm. and I focus a lot on nutrition, and especially, like in this world that we're living in now, like there's so many questions about like what is healthy, what works for people, you know, and I really believe in like a real food uh, approach because I feel the difference in myself, like Mm -hmm. the way that I feel when I eat well and the way that I feel when I don't. It's just such a big difference and I'm just not willing to feel a certain way. Like, I don't want to be bloated for five days. I don't want to feel tired because of a certain food. I don't want to have, like, if I eat way too much sugar, then I start to get, like, depressed. And these are just, like, real things that happen with food. Um, But at the same time, with this whole culture that's happening now, there's a big prevalence, I think, of orthorexia. Absolutely. So what is that line? And what are some, like warning signs of orthorexia and how can people distinguish uh being healthy versus it being like this obsession right well i think it has to do with the over preoccupation of 
um, healthy eating or or even you know it could also relate to, to movement as well yes. so I think oftentimes when it comes to orthorexia it oftentimes impedes in their functioning so this individual who might be orthorexic you know their beliefs about food their rigid beliefs about food may inhibit them from engaging socially as well and that's a big red flag um, mm. and I absolutely think that orthorexia falls within the spectrum that we were we were just talking about I think there's actually um, that there's a hope that it could be a diagnosable eating disorder at some point so yeah so but I think I, I think one of the things that you mentioned is like is healthy versus not healthy and and there are so many different beliefs there's so many different I mean I could like begin the list of what has been deemed as healthy from high carbohydrate to low carbohydrate yes. to green juice to probiotic <laughs> yeah. to um well, yeah, so chai seeds right yeah. like there's so I'm like oh my god there every day there's a new healthy food and yep. it's hard to kind of keep up with all of them because they're sensationalized you know right. and this is going to be the magic thing exactly that and then you. it's 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 insane so I, I mean I think that to add a label as healthy and not is really um sometimes it could be really confusing and I think it provides I think one of the things that I worry about is we are so disconnected from our bodies by virtue of connecting with what society or what is the newest fad absolutely foods you know have nutritional value and we hope that you know people are being nourished by these foods but but it's I, I I think that there's a way that if we're just um, looking at food from even its 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 nutritional value, we disconnect from what our bodies want. And yes. I, I think that my my you know my my thought is more: how can we reconnect with our bodies? Our our bodies, as we we just noted a little bit earlier, we are you know as babies we're we're intuitive. And, mm-hmm. You know, animals at times are intuitive. Babies are intuitive, right? We know when to when to. Um, what we like to eat, what we don't like to eat, when to stop, when to have a meal, right? And and in some way, at some point, that became disrupted, you know, at times by the diet industry, at times by, you know, the messages of, around food that we've learned even, you know, from society. And so mm-hmm. I, I really feel like the more we connect to our bodies, the more we could be um, mindful and intuitive about you know, what is it that my body is asking me for? Um, is it readily available to me right now? Or am I going to have to feed myself with what I have, you know, in, you know, the restaurant across the, the way or, you know, in my pantry right now? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, so long as there is an ability to, again, respond to hunger fullness and what it is that the body that body wants, you know, start and stop a meal when you feel comfortable we're promoting a, a connection with one's body. We're, we're aware of our own hunger levels. Um, we're aware of our fullness levels. We're aware of, you know, what is it that my body is craving right now? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it could be a chocolate chip cookie and it could be a green juice and it could be, you know, an omelet, like it could be anything. Yeah. And, and I think we have to really, um, remove the judgment of having, you know, healthy or non-healthy foods. Is it unhealthy to have a chocolate chip cookie? I really don't think so. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, is it, is it, you know, are we only healthy if we're having green juice in the morning? And how can we, I think that we have to build a sense of, um, as we reconnect with our bodies, that we can respect that at times our bodies may crave different things based on, you know, where we are, what we're doing, um, how fatigued or not we are, and how can we honor that? Like, how can we, we just build awareness and not judgment? Yes. Um, how mm-hmm. can we be curious our bodies with curious about our bodies and not judgmental um, Absolutely. so I think that that's that kind of it falls under um, 
even my beliefs about intuitive eating, intuitive and mindful eating, which is something that I, I feel really um, strongly about. Yeah. Um, I, I believe that we have to be flexible with regards to our relationship with food mm. and that we have to work against all of the, the you know, judgment and limitations, I think, that that um, that is now, you know, a, a trending um, something that's trending within the community of, okay, well, you know, avoid gluten and avoid yes. dairy and avoid, um, you know, gosh, like so many different things. And you're yes. like, it's so hard to eat. Yes. Right? And it's so yeah. hard to feel good about the way that you eat because every day there's something else coming up, mm-hmm. coming out. Um, and again, I think that they're promoting a disconnect within the body instead of a connection. Yes. What if we find through the connection of the body, Mm -hmm. I work with a lot of these women too, that they find that a food in actuality, like really doesn't work for them. Mm -hmm. So whatever it might be, uh, and they choose not to eat that food. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're at a dinner party and they say, you know, there's something there that doesn't work for them. And they say like, I don't want to eat it or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. They try to avoid it. Would you consider that orthorexic? Like, because the intention is not one of controlling. It's one of, um, you know, I just want to feel good right. right now. So not necessarily. I mean, I wouldn't say that if if you have some sort of intolerance or allergic reaction to the food, I'm not, you know, by no means am I saying, well, that's restrictive eating or orthorexia. I think that we have to be conscious of what our bodies may be sensitive to. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely normal that, you know, each one of our bodies has a sensitivity to a certain type of food. But I I think when there is more to um, the reasons why we're restricting this food intake, I think that that's something to be really curious about. Mm -hmm. Um, I oftentimes have um, some clients go through, you know, allergy testing and um, really ensure that, that their avoidance is coming from a place of their body is rejecting it because yeah. I, I think I think we could again we could get so consumed with you know this is not good for us for these reasons yes. and, and it could be it could become really scary to eat yes um so I think I, I think for me um or, or I think when I'm thinking about food and when I'm thinking about you know choosing not to have a certain food type um, I want to ensure that that we're not having that food type because, or that food for a reason of which it might not be, you know, comfortable for us to have it. I yeah. guess comfortable with regards to like, um, it doesn't feel, I, I guess it doesn't feel good to have it and there's a reason behind it that it's not just... It's not just, it's not avoidance of this food, that it's a yes. true discomfort. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Which is something that I've gone through for the past like five years. I've just realized that certain foods don't work for me. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning, it was like this obsessive thing mm-hmm. where it's like I was scared of going out to eat maybe like in 2012, 2013. And really changing the intention behind it, really looking at it from like a practical thing. Like, okay, no, my stomach actually doesn't feel good from these things Mm -hmm. and it actually causes discomfort is really different Mm -hmm. than like oh no I can't have that food and then you create an obsession around it and I would actually end up binging Mm -hmm. on the actual food feeling worse because of it because they're like the mentality was completely different Mm -hmm. you know what I mean yeah well I think that that's why it's so important to have things like testing to have to have even a physician on board there are eating disorder specialists that are Luckily, also, you know, they're physicians within the community, and, mm-hmm. and I think that they um, have a beautiful way of kind of understanding, well, 
is this individual and, and I think like gluten sensitivity is a is a big one yes right now um, is this individual does they do they struggle with celiac mm-hmm. um, disease are they is there a sensitivity of some sort that mm-hmm. is not you know there's a, I think a spectrum to that yes. as well um, so so I think I I feel as though we need to have the language to be able to support the way that you know we choose to eat or, or, or don't um, mm-hmm. because I think it could lead to again fear of exposure to yes. food and then you know eliminations at a time are at times are really not necessary yeah. and lead to binge eating even yes so. absolutely because then you put on this other layer of restriction mm-hmm. on yourself which is what I think causes binging mm-hmm. uh, is like a sense whether it's like an actual physical restriction like you were saying at the beginning not getting enough calories Mm -hmm. maybe restricting a certain macronutrient like carbohydrate Mm -hmm. or fat or whatever it is and then so that's like you know the binging I think is actually a physiological response of the body because the body's starved exactly yeah but then there's also like a mental restriction as well where you could allow yourself to eat the food but there's still this stuff going on in your brain that's like, you can't have it. It's going to do whatever to you. So there's both the physiological restriction and the mental restriction. And I find that even if people are feeding themselves, they can live for years with that mental restriction. Well, and I think they're all related. I mean, I feel like then the individual engages in the binge and they feel guilty, but they still don't really have an understanding. Exactly. Of how, like, how does this... I think that that's that's sometimes the 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 place of um, the richness in in knowledge that comes at times from having a multidisciplinary team and mm-hmm. approaches all of these different individuals making sense of what's happening on a physical level, on a nutritional level, and on a mental level. Mm-hmm. Um, and by virtue of even understanding the cycles of binging, you could really understand, you know, things like you know you could understand. Um, deficits with the nutrition that are leading to binge eating, yes. you know, deficits on a, on a, you know, a, 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 in terms of uh, your medical stability, like what might be, do you have any sort of levels that are low that it's that, that are leading to these engagements and in, in, in binge behaviors and how can we stabilize that? But also mm-hmm. kind of the thoughts and feelings that are going with some of these binge cycles and how do we, how do we shift? how do we understand and then shift and change to, to sort of decrease the engagement in binge and binge like behaviors? Yes. And I know that binging is another thing in and of itself that so many people go through, like Mm -hmm. could go through an entire lifetime on that cycle perpetuated by society. The diet industry is a $66 billion industry. And I really think that it is in business and so profitable because it just has repeat customers like people coming back because they don't work. So it's like, it's this thing that you could spend a lifetime in, you Mm -hmm. know, restrict, feel great, have something that's shiny, do something in 30 days, be starved, binge again, go back on the diet. So it just like perpetuates Mm -hmm. this thing. So it's not until I think that we break that cycle really actively Mm -hmm. that we can go into, um, you know, living, I don't even want to say normal, but a neutral relationship with food, you know, a not more normalized, a more normalized relationship right. with food. Right. Um, for binging specifically, I hear from a lot of women that mm-hmm. do binge and engage in these behaviors. And I know we kind of touched upon this in the beginning, but what would be the difference between like somebody binging on a frequent basis and then having full on binge eating disorder? 
I mean, I think that the frequency of binges is really so the engagement in in, in frequent binge binges mm-hmm. oftentimes classifies as binge eating dis- as as binge eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and some individuals compensate by virtue of you know purging or overexercise or diuretics, mm-hmm. laxatives, and some in- individuals might not. Yeah. Um, and so I I actually don't think that there is a tremendous amount of of I mean. Oftentimes, individuals that are binging, sure, the frequency, you know, will determine. I, I think that there's some sort of binge eating disorder occurring. Yes. Um, and I think, you know, either is problematic and should yes. probably be treated. Yes, absolutely. Um, I know that you are somebody that loves to move. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you like to run and do different things. Mm-hmm. So how do you approach... And I also know that you live like a really balanced life. Mm. You like to go out and have fun and eat socially and travel and kind of like, you know, do all these different things. But at the same time, I know that your health matters to you. Mm-hmm. So how do you, with your own nutrition and movement, kind of keep that balance for something that works for you? So I think about, uh, that's a good question. Um, I think about balance. I, I mean, I, I do. I, I love the word balance that you um, just used, and and I think, I think I I've really come to understand taking care of ourselves means more than just taking care of ourselves on a physical basis. Yes, it means taking care of ourselves mentally, emotionally, mm-hmm. um, socially as well. Yes. And so, um, you know, I try my best, and I. I sometimes miss the mark and sometimes you know sometimes like I have a better handle on it but I I think I'm I'm sort of always assessing what does my body need um what do I need on a on on looking within I think um and that kind of guides me from you know if I need to go outdoors and be it that that's walking or running mm-hmm. um, that I'm you know, I, I might have an interest in taking a Pilates class with somebody instead. Yeah, and, yeah. and, um, or, or maybe, you know, I've worked really hard and I need, you know, to go out with friends at, at the end of my day or my week. So mm-hmm. I think it's kind of, I think again, with regards to just checking in, um, and, and expanding the definition, I think oftentimes, and I think the biggest problem that we come across is that taking care of oneself means taking care of oneself physically it means going to the gym yeah it means having you know a healthy diet and that's the buckends there yeah the truth is I think that that's what keeps people going to the diet industry Mm. for reasons of which you know to seek happiness I think I was I was gonna note I think before is I, I at one point turned on the radio on the way into work and I heard four different commercials of you know diet liposuction breast enhancement and and all of them the end message was look your best, be your happiest. And I was like, I'm yes. appalled. I, this yeah. is insane. That's like life right. out there. That in yeah. some way being physically fit or changing the way that you look is going to make you happier. And I'm like, oh my God, you are missing. So there is so yes. much to that equation that is not being talked about. That's not, yes. you know, that is not even on the radar of awareness in any sort of way. No. Yeah. Um, so I think it's really about um, about making room for that. About knowing, you know, do you do you need to talk with a friend? Um, how are you feeling? And how does that also play a part in your exhaustion or? Or even what you think you need with regards to movement. So I think going back to kind of what you asked is, you know, what's my, um, 
what works for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, I really, I practice intuitive eating. Mm-hmm. Um, I really try to, to respond to what it is that my body needs. And, you know, sometimes that's a probiotic and, you know, yeah. sometimes that's a chocolate chip cookie, yeah. but, um, or, or what my body wants. I think, I think it's important to, to, to kind of have that balance of, yes. of um, need and want and, mm-hmm. and to be able to respond accordingly. Um, and that, that, you know, in particular it is, is about, is with regards to movement. I'm, I'm I am an active person. I like to be outdoors. Mm-hmm. I think even more so than be, uh, I'm active, but, yes. but to be outdoors is a big one for me. Yeah. I, I really enjoy just kind of connecting with nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I have a healthy balance with movement and, um, you know, sometimes it's about taking a walk with my friends and that's yeah. enough. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's about going for a run just so that I could, you know, blow off some steam and, and kind of think a little bit more sometimes about, you know, my, my, you know, my cases. And sometimes it's, it's to actually just like connect with nature and not oh, to yeah. think about, about some of my clients too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and travel is nice. Travel for me is a way to sort of hit the reset button. Yeah. Um, it's, it's about, um, I think really appreciating that the world is much bigger than kind of our, our Monday through Friday, nine to five and, mm-hmm. and enjoying, um, a sense of appreciation for difference in cultures. Yes. Um, so I really, I think travel is a big one for me. Um, and I think the investment in my own mental health is also really important. Oh um, totally underrated, uh, underrated and stigmatized right. as well. Right. Completely. So I think about things like, um, you know, seeking set your own psychotherapy, yes. having mentors, um, having healthy support systems um, is something that um, we all need to make more time for. Yes. Um, I think assessing the quality of our relationships, um, seeking professional supervision, uh, you know, participating in psychotherapy mm-hmm. and and not being, I think, afraid to, to sort of to talk more about that. Mm-hmm. I think we can continue to live in hiding, whether it be in you know engagement in eating disorder behaviors or even in hiding about seeking mental health services and oh yeah i think we have to be able to talk more about that and promote how they've made positive changes in our lives Mm -hmm. um so i think that also i think that's one of the the areas for me that brings a sense of of balance and exactly and awareness um and i think that that's a big one when it comes to um to what i do and, and to everything that we're talking about is how do we build, how do we increase Um, Mm self-awareness? And we can be on the same habits, we can be on the same train going forward for years and years and years. And truthfully, we never spend time becoming more aware of ourselves, becoming more aware of our dynamics in relationships, our dynamics with regards to our relationship with food, um, our, you know, the things that are triggered even within us that make us act in certain ways and if we devote a bit of our time to that you know the 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 ripple effects I think could really be so life enhancing so Mm -hmm. it is not so much to just purely seek happiness with regards to you know eating right and moving right but it's also about how do we how do we um, enhance our lives by virtue of recognition of of ourselves um so I think about, I think I say this to a lot of my clients, but by the time I, people are coming into psychotherapy because, you know, they have a quote unquote problem. And I, I so appreciate my clients, not because of their, you know, quote unquote problem, but because they devote their time to an increase in self-awareness. They devote yeah. their time to 
something isn't working, let's put our heads together, let's figure out what's not working, um, and let's do something about it. Um, so I, I think I really appreciate, um, you know, my clients entrusting in me to sort of take this, like, to take this journey with, with them. Yeah. Um, and to be curious with them about their own dynamics in relationships, um, their own dynamic, like what comes up for them internally that is affecting either their relationship with food, um, their relationship with their partners, or even with their friends. Yeah. So I think the more that we could do that, the more self-aware we, we can become, the better the better we could attain more fulfillment within life, I think. Exactly. And I think that it's such a false notion that having that perfect body is going to give you happiness, even though that's like, it's everywhere. And it's such a, and I think sometimes you have to go through that to realize, like I said at the beginning, here I am with a quote unquote perfect body. And I feel like worse than I did at the onset. Now I just have a smaller body. And I think that happens a lot with like bikini competitors, people that go, that just eat like broccoli and steamed chicken to get this body to do this competition and then they end up with autoimmune diseases Hashimoto's like they gain 20 pounds in a month and it's just like that whole world that's going on when it can be extremely isolating Mm -hmm. and I really think that there's something to be said about being nourished in different areas and so many times like you said we think that that health comes from food and exercise and while that can and does really enhance life and increase the quality and things like that um having support eating with people hanging out with your friends really feeds those different parts of yourself you know i think about it as nourishing from the inside out yeah right like oftentimes we're so focused on nourishing ourselves for our appearance right yes and we're not thinking about we're not thinking about what's on the inside and we miss so much. I mean, so much again of the diet industry is based on the outside. So much about, you know, so much about health is focused on the outside and no one's focusing on the inside. Mm. And I think the more we can shift the dialogue to what is happening on the inside that's affecting the outside, the better suited we are. Right. Because oftentimes there's, there's something going on. on, There's something, there's more to the equation. There's more that's affecting um, what we hope to, um, what we hope people will see, what we hope, um, to achieve, right. Mm -hmm. On the outside, there's more so that's, that's happening on the inside. Um, Yes, absolutely. And it is so interesting to me how nourished we can feel when we really focus on those things. And I find too, with myself and, like myself in the past and with um, people that I work with that the body that so many of us strive for comes by default once we are living a life aligned with what we want on the inside. So like we could strive for years only focusing like like tunnel vision on the food and the exercise getting nowhere to that goal. But then once we start really opening up, letting go of those uh, self-imposed standards that we've put on ourselves, the body comes by accident uh, in some cases, you know, which is so interesting and crazy, you know, the opposite of what we were told. I think, and that's where I think we were just talking about, like, when we started, we were talking about social media, and there's such a disconnect of, like, chasing the thing outside of ourselves. Yes. But truthfully, I think that the, 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 
the cure, the peace, the happiness comes from understanding what's on the inside, right? Like, yeah. and, and finding, and when we do that, we find this, we find, I, I hope, and I, I would hope that we find this balance and this, I think this peace within our bodies. Yeah. Um, so I, I absolutely, I think a, a lot of clients, you know, that have gone through this process in, in a healthy kind of way have found um, that they are more comfortable in their bodies when they, when they um, recognize that what lives in their body is much more than just their physical their physical body yeah. yes there's a whole world waiting to be seen mm-hmm. waiting to be discovered which is what I think we look for like I was saying to you before we started recording the thing that we are looking for you know when we have a distorted relationship with food or exercise is something that cannot be touched or seen mm-hmm. it's something that we experience and we feel and that's never talked about mm-hmm. and it is so beautiful to me that that is what's going on um it's just really interesting you know um there's this big culture now too with like whole 30s 21 day sugar detoxes macro counting so a lot of people are engaged in that world so what do you kind of think of those things and what do you think too of like this obsession that happens with numbers So I think I think at a time when people might be pursuing that they might they might need sort of a reset and be it that mm-hmm. they're just sort of just noting that their relationship with food, um, for one reason or the other, is is unhealthy. Mm-hmm. So I think I think the reasons that they might be looking at some of this might be for reasons of which it might it might come from a healthy place. Like I need to I mean I need to make some sort of change. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think. I, I worry when we get so extremely focused on, you know, sugar being something that's that's terrible and bad for your body or only eating whole foods and that's, the, you know, that's the way that I have to eat. That's the way that I should be eating for the rest of my life. Like, mm-hmm. I think I think there's a difference in the approach to, um, or the reasons, the hopes for changing ourselves towards healthy habits mm. um, and making changes in the way that we are approaching our, our relationship with food, but then sort of staying stuck on these ideals or beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I worry about anything that is too extreme. Um, so things like, things like, you know, whole 30 or, you know, 21, 28 sugar. You know, There's so many of them. Added. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I worry about that because I think it promotes rigidity and I think mm-hmm. it, it promotes, um, but the belief system that one food is, is bad for you or that some foods are bad for you. Um, and I worry about anything that's too rigid because I think that then it promotes further restriction or further just judgment about food. Yes. Um, so I think that that's, did I miss it? Did I miss your original question or were you just asking no, me that's, what I thought about it? Yeah. Okay. And then what also is the, what do you think of like this obsession that we have with numbers oh. and tracking and I, weight? I, again, I think that that kind of just promotes the disconnect, yeah. right? This, yes. this disconnect that everything is about, you know, I, I think it's, it's incredibly problematic at times to be so obsessed with calorie intake with, you know, with one fixed weight. We know that things happen with, with regards we're not entrusting in our bodies to feed ourselves appropriately. We're not mm-hmm. listening if we're just focused on numbers, right? We're not, fo- we're, 
I think oftentimes even if we get consumed with reaching a certain weight, we're not owning and, and you know, we're not aware of bodies actually have ranges. Yes. Right? Um, and different needs every day. Right. Based on the way we move or where you are in your cycle, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah, it's, it, everything I think promotes an external mm-hmm. uh, way to look when we can really we've always had this mechanism inside of us that um can tell us but like we're not told that we can listen we're not told also that we can trust ourselves that's a big thing too that like we are people that can be trusted Mm -hmm. we're people that can listen to our bodies um for people that let's say they do actually have weight to lose Mm -hmm. Um, they're not feeling good, like they um, might feel uncomfortable in their bodies mm-hmm. and maybe for a health reason they might need to lose weight. What's a way that people can approach that to not um, engage in detrimental behaviors and to keep a relationship with food intact? I would say, you know, identifying what the behavior is that's leading either to the weight gain or the inability to achieve their more optimal weight, right? Mm. Are they stress eating? Um, Is the quality of food that they're eating um, something that, you know, should be looked at? And and why are they turning to these foods, right? Mm -hmm. It could be pure mental and emotional exhaustion, and they might feel the need to intake sugar and the amount of sugar that they might need to both concentrate and get through their day and and just to kind of keep them peppy and yeah you know motivated yeah. for yeah. their day and mm-hmm. that could really affect I think their choices so I think part of it is identifying you know what where is you know where's the relationship with food getting disrupted again like mm-hmm. in, in whatever way right um so where is the problem area and then why is the problem area there right yeah and, and then also you know imp- I think, I think education is really fundamental and speaking to this individual from, from a standpoint of, you know, how can we create a structure that, that might be a structure and and options that might be helpful for you. Mm -hmm. Um, But further, I think, you know, in my, my scope, why is it that that's, that that these are the foods that you're turning to? Exactly. um, Or this is the time of which you are eating and, you know, what is it that's being, that's being triggered on an emotional, on an emotional, um, uh, level as well yeah, yeah and bringing their understanding to that exactly because and I think if they can't do that then then I think that it you know it might be we might be eliminating the caffeine or or changing the the caffeine and sugar intake to kind of keep them up yes but but then we're not doing anything with regards to well what's driving the exhaustion and how can we kind of better manage that as exactly well. and we're never told that like there is infinite amounts of uh, knowledge that can be gained by looking at that emotional side, mm-hmm. you know, by, by kind of, uh, treating and becoming aware of those emotions, we are able to, um, reach our natural weight in a much more, uh, sustainable mm-hmm. and maintainable way because, um, the body is smart and wise Yes, and we diminish the power of the body. Like the body wants to survive. It wants to be fed and nourished. Yeah. Uh, and people don't realize that, like, by restricting the amount of calories, it really does do detrimental things yeah. to the body. Um, obviously, there's a big spectrum of that. Uh, if people want to become more aware about eating disorders, what are some books that you would recommend? Maybe even, like, for eating disorders and then maybe um, getting 
a better relationship with food or healing that. I think Janine Roth has... Oh, a, my God, she's my favorite. Yeah, she has some great books. Yes. So she has, you know, When Food is Love. Yes. Um, uh, Women, Food, and God, I think, is a Amazing. great one. I try to yeah. keep a library outside. Of yes, I saw them. They were awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then Jenny Schaefer also has oh, um, yes. books that I think are more so eating disorder focused. They're, yes. they're speaking to people's experience and feeling caged or confined by their eating disorder and how to sort of seek freedom mm-hmm. um, from that. And I think they're, they're, I, I love that there's more um, resources available to women. I, the Alliance for Eating Disorder Awareness yes. um, is a great resource for, for individuals that are you know, both seeking knowledge and seeking services as well. Uh-huh. Um, so those are, I think, some, 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 both community resources and then yes. also books that I think would be, would be enhancing for people. Yes. And Janine just came out with a new book like really? last week called, uh, This Messy Magnificent Life, mm. which is, I mean, it touches a little bit about food, but it mm-hmm. also touches about like, um, a general, uh, discomfort that we might feel just in everyday life. Mm. Um, and how to kind of come back to the present moment, you know, that like that need that we have to like be satisfied all the time and, you know, to have that mentality that like the grass is greener on the other side, which I think are things that so many of us can go through. Mm. So, and that can tie back to food as well. Um, tell us what your last meal would be like, cause I know you love food. Ooh. Oh my goodness. Like if you could only have like, it could even be courses. Like if I think of mine, it would be like many (laughs) things. So what would your last meal be? I don't know if it would be an avocado toast with like a poached egg on top. Mm. Or chocolate chip pancakes are really a big one for me. Oh, yes. I would have to say last meal. Yes. Last meal, it would definitely be chocolate chip pancakes, mm, for sure. That's a good way to go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Um, and I know that I've known you for a really long time, mm-hmm. and it's we actually went to the same school, mm-hmm. college, and we actually have a mutual friend that you went to elementary yeah. school yes, with, yes, yes. which is awesome. Um, but I really think it's so amazing how much like you've grown and what you've accomplished, um, especially with what you've created here. And what would you say is the greatest piece of advice that you've been given or the greatest lesson that you've learned when it comes to life and growth? Oh, my gosh. Mm. To put that into one sentence, I think, would be really difficult. Yeah. Um, I think I have had really great mentors Mm. um, and friends along the way. And I have, I think, even in the past few years, just become really grateful Mm -hmm. for, I call them these, like, on-earth angels that I'm not sure how I came across them Mm -hmm. or how our paths, like, you know, crossed at some point or the other. But I have, I've been so appreciative. um, And I could say you know, on a professional basis, um, what has allowed for, for this growth, but also just this personal satisfaction that I feel within is, you know, it could be from, um, my therapist at UF in college who, 
um, really assisted me in in transitioning from a nutrition major to um, yeah, I, I did health I studied health education and behavior mm-hmm. um, and who allowed for me and who gave me the resources to become a, a therapist and, and just sat with me through the process and, yeah. and I enjoyed I enjoyed that I enjoyed mm-hmm. like being in that setting and being on the other side and um, just grew an appreciation for how life-changing a therapeutic relationship could be mm-hmm. um, to um, you know some of my mentors when working at, at the Oliver Pyatt centers and Wendy Oliver Pyatt herself and, and her, her belief in me um, and all of the lessons that I learned there uh, and then um, you know I, I worked with a colleague in, in one of my programs who um, never she never um, gave up on me she sort of just believed in my creativity and my talent and I, mm-hmm. I always so admire that and and um and now I think um I have some some wonderful mentors that are constantly um helping me grow and pushing me to do that uh pushing me to see more of myself um pushing me to be to take greater risks yeah um and and I think that that has also just transpired in my in my friendships like Mm -hmm. you know I feel really fulfilled with um, you don't have to have so many friends. You have to have a few good ones. Exactly. Um, that are going to walk through life with you. And, and I feel really grateful for that. So I guess it wouldn't be so much of um, a one line that has been given to me, but more um, just the people that have taught me so much in life that I, I feel like I'm more grateful for. Yeah. Um, so I guess if I could... If I could, God, that's a really difficult question for me to answer, but I I guess I... But that's the answer, you know, Mm -hmm. the fact that, like, as we grow, it can be uncomfortable, you know, it's so uncomfortable, and (laughs) that's why, like, when I look back, it's like, that discomfort was worth it, Mm -hmm. because it's what, like, I feel the growth in Mm -hmm. myself, but it has only come through discomfort, so, like... Brene Brown has a really good quote, like, you can either be comfortable or you can either be growing. Or you mm-hmm. can either choose courage or you can be comfortable. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what is it that you are going to embark on for this precious life? And then also how important it is to have support yes. and to reach out for support. Because I think, like, for me, that used to be really difficult because I'm a perfectionist. I want to do everything alone. I'm independent. But in reaching out, and having somebody walk with us on that path, whether yes. it's a mentor, a therapist, mm-hmm. a really trusted friend, uh, that can be completely life-changing and can be the tool to walk you through that discomfort. Because if you live a meaningful life, it's often hard, you know, in many ways. It's beautiful, but it can be uncomfortable as you grow, I think, you know? I think I, I agree. And I think... I was just thinking more about all the the different individuals that I kind of just was was thinking about, and some of them are mentioned, but I would say that the common thread in all of them is that they have assisted in my own growth of self-awareness. Yes. Or or taken me to a a greater place of of Mm self-awareness. And and I would say that that's true from, um, you know, with with colleagues and with friends yeah that each one of them is assisting in my further recognizing myself 
Yes. Um, they're assisting in just noting all of these different blind spots that I think we can yes. all have. Yes. Well, so, relationships are a whole, they're yeah. mirrors. Yeah. Um, you know, and that and they can be difficult too, mm-hmm. you know? So <laughs> mirror could be a very difficult place. Yes, yeah. because then you actually see yourself, you see why you're triggered, but again, it comes to the greater good of being more self-aware, which is, I believe, the key to being, um, to really take, like, shining a flashlight on our food and our body stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so let people know where they can find you, if they sure. can find you online, sure. if they can work with you. Absolutely. So, so, um, I have a website, TarinaLopez.com, um, and, and I can be reached at Tarina period LMHC at gmail.com mm-hmm. via email. Um, I'm listed on, you know, psychology today, but you can gather all of my contact. I'll have it in the show notes. Okay, yeah. perfect. Um, so I hope that I could be of help to anybody who's either looking for a resource or mm-hmm. looking to, you know, embark in psychotherapy, um, and who needs, who needs somebody to kind of walk them through, um, the building of self-awareness. Yes. Um, and and that's it. That's me. So I guess they'll find my contact. Yes, absolutely. I will have okay. it all in the show notes. Thank you so much for oh taking gosh, the time. So it was super fun. Yeah. And hopefully we can do it again sometime. Thank you so much for listening to Heart Food Podcast. To find the show notes for this episode, visit ashleypardo.com. Follow Ashley on social media at Ashley K. Pardo. If you enjoy the show, please share it with your family and friends. And give us some love by subscribing and leaving a five-star rating and review on iTunes.